Fun with Failure is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hi, welcome to Fun with Failure, where we laugh with and at you about your flaws, fears, and failures. I'm your host, Dr. Alexis Carrero. Let's have some fun. Our guest today is Bruce Clark, the executive director of Digital Charlotte, working to bring broadband access to the Charlotte-Mecklenburg area with the goal of connecting all neighborhoods, residents, and underserved communities with home internet. And in 2012, he promoted the Democratic National Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina, collaborating with tech companies such as Ustream, Twitter, and Reddit. He also has a political background and worked on campaigns for former Charlotte Mayor Anthony Fox and was the Deputy Regional Field Director for the Obama-Biden campaign. Hi, Bruce. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, Alexis. Thanks for having me. So I noticed one thing that was missing from the bio that you sent me, and you ran for city councilor in Charlotte a couple years ago and lost. So are, how excited are you to talk about that failure today on this podcast? I mean, I'm so excited to talk about <laughs> it because I get to talk about it with you and be here. So uh, yeah, I did. I ran in uh, 2009, I think it was. Uh, sounds right. Yeah. And uh, God, it was that long didn't ago? Didn't win. Yes, I wow. know, right? It was a failure of the past. Something, yeah. A stepping stone. It's definitely, yeah. Okay. I haven't stepped anywhere else yet, but. Uh, well, you stepped into the role as executive director of Digital Charlotte, and we worked together for years. So I've seen what you've been able to do in that role, and it is very, very impressive. That's over at the Knight School of Communication at Queens University. Yes. And we are very, very lucky to have you. Well, thank you. So before we talk about how you're crushing it in that space and how you potentially got crushed, mm for city council. Mm -hmm. Feels good, right? Mm, yes. It's exciting. Feels great. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to start with a with the lighthearted lightning round. So this kind of eases us into the deeper conversations about flaws, fears, and failures. All right. So what's your superpower? What's something that you're just oh. naturally really good at? Uh, no, yeah, I think I have the ability to see perspectives from two sides. Um, I'm a Libra. I mean, I have a, a justice tattoo, you know, very thinking about both sides and usually comes across in the context of balance, although I don't consider myself to be balanced all the time, but more the ability to see two sides. So I, um, it's not necessarily a good skill when you're negotiating because you can have such empathy for the other person and you're like, oh, I totally understand where you're coming from instead of, you know. Right. Being a hardliner, but um, and winning and winning, yeah, exactly. Right. So yeah, I'd say that's my superpower. Yeah, I like that you brought up empathy too, because that's such an important part of that. Yeah. So what about what's the flip side of that? Do you have a kryptonite that you know you just something that you're just naturally bad at that other people kind of seem they can do really well? But... Oh, well, you know the thing that comes to my mind is singing. Yeah. And it's you know my mother's an excellent singer. My grandmother was an opera singer. My sister's an excellent singer and musician. And I mean I was pretty good around a trumpet and a violin for years, but um, I always wanted to sing, and I still definitely try. Good. Um, and hopefully one day we'll be able to remove that from my from my failure list. But uh, it's a pretty uh, I'm not not very good at it. What's your definition of failure? Do you have a definition? I. Uh, I think that like other than the obvious, you know, sort of um, more dictionary based things, I think of it as uh, uh, the middle point. I think of it as a part of a journey. Um, I don't see failure at, as the end of anything. I see it, 
definitely at least in the middle, if not uh, more so on the front side of things. Um, and I think of it as a, a, a exploration in what it means to be human um, because uh, nobody's perfect. And so everybody's sort of failing constantly. And it's just more exploring the bounds of those failures. And so um, what are you willing to push yourself into to knowing that you're going to fail, but that that failure is, is only the, the, the middle or the beginning part of that longer, broader journey to something else. Um, so that's generally how I think about it or try to at least, geez, yeah, more so try. That's so healthy. Do you have a favorite failure of someone else's? Ooh. Yeah, that, that's, um, I'd say pretty easy for me to think about somebody else's failure that's been fun to watch and funny at the same time as uh, the Chicago Cubs. Oh. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, like not so much anymore, obviously. Yeah, I know. Congratulations. Uh, I'm yeah, so, so I was so happy for you. Four years ago. Yeah. I know. Uh, but uh, yeah, that was, I mean, my whole life, right? You were a lovable loser. I mean, there's a, they have a, a, a you know, a phrase coined for their entire fan base. Yeah. And so it was just thinking about coming here today and thinking about things that were failures in my past. That was one thing that I obviously feel very associated with growing up in Chicago and yeah. still being a fan of the team and uh what that meant culturally and what that meant to our family and like you know to, to sort of continue to fail but you just always you know going back to it being a middle point on a journey yeah boy it sure it sure it sure was in that instance and so you know um thankfully we are through with that curse and are on to our next curse but you know hey <laughs> well and you and i had talked about this years ago because i'm originally from boston so i was a red sox fan yeah. now i know that doesn't mean a lot to people in a contemporary in a contemporary context but growing up in the 80s you know i watched bill buckner i watched the ball go through bill buckner's legs on near first base and was just devastated year after year after year and so when we first won the world series i know exactly how you felt which and after we had won the first and I think the second, I was like, all right, I'm a Cubs fan now because, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. I have to root for those people. Yeah. I have to because I know what that feels like. Um, yeah. So and I remember when they were in the World Series, you know, I didn't have a dog in that fight, but I just kept thinking, you know, I wanted the Cubs to win. And I was just so happy for you also because it, oh, when, when it's when you're happy for someone, it's, oh, I'm also happy for you know, his wife and his dad and his family because it goes generations deep. So, yeah. 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 And it is great when you stick with it, you know, because at any point you could have been like, nah, I'm going to pivot, you know, mm -hmm. I'm going to go and root for this team. But then when you stick with it, yeah, that failure turns into the sweetest, most delicious success. Oh. What is your favorite, most embarrassing story to share with people? I mean, I, if I go with the first story that pops into my mind, it is going to be an ex, you know, a, you know, a college experience. Thank God there wasn't social media back then to to have a video of this. I know. Uh, but uh, I had a very severe ankle fracture, oh. and the true story of this failure uh, is that um, we were encouraging people to practice safe sex, uh, and so we had asked some of the younger freshmen to go get some condoms from the health department. Safety first. Yes, of course, right? And in and it, uh, as part of that condom package, they also provided some additional things in the in the in this little like gift bag. And there happened to be some uh slippery substances. Oh no. <laughs> so 
I am, so this is, this is the context, right? We're in a room that we had, there had been some handing out of these things and reminder to, you know, practice safe sex. And, and then it was a completely different subject, completely different thing. And I was doing an impersonation of these two NFL kickers who were brothers who were notorious for celebrating their kicks and who both got injured while celebrating their kicks, the Grammatica brothers, right? So here I am getting ready to do an, do my own impersonation of this. And little did I know somebody had dropped one of these, um, yes, lube packet. Let's just get to right. the point right yep, here. Yeah, there okay. it is. We're all adults. So uh, drop one of these packets on the floor. And when I jumped up to do my oh, impersonation, no. I I slipped on the, on the lube. And then, you know, you're at the hospital and they say, well, what happened to you? And you're like, oh, well. You're like, yeah. I was like, yeah, that's what happened to me. Okay. Well, and also there's an element of karma in the story because you're making fun of the people who then injure themselves. Yeah, right. And then you get injured. Yeah, that was fast acting karma right there. It was instant. Yeah, that's Just great. Just add lube. <laughs> yeah. Just add lube. Another great name for a podcast. But we'll save that for someone else. I am really red right now, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> I know, but that's what's fun. Flaws, fears, and failures. That's a good stuff. Uh. What are some products or services that help you feel like less of a failure? I mean, the first thing that really jumps into my mind is actually a book. Um, and it's a book called Make Time by Jake Knapp and John Zertsky, whose name, I'm sorry, John, if you're listening, um, it'd be awesome if you're listening. That'd be cool. That would be great. Hey, John, yeah. what's up? Hey, yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it, the, the concept of the book is, uh, the, you know, a, a, Google, a Google guy and a YouTube guy and um, how they were designing technology to consume your time. And I, I think that part of failure is like also the sense of like, uh, I don't have enough time to do things or like, oh, what am I gonna do now? And so there's this, this constant struggle and then all the other sort of life expectations. And this book really forced me to think about um, how do you make time, right? Uh, how do you think about what you're doing and is it creating value for what the life you're trying to build? That book is, has, and it was, it was a gift. The book was a gift, which made it extra special, right? Yeah, so, that's great. Um, from somebody very thoughtful who, uh, you know, really challenged me in, in a conversation and then came back and, and provided that book. And, I, and I'm not a very good reader, but because it was a gift, I shouldn't say I'm not a good reader, but I'm not a frequent reader. Yeah, I was um, just about to make fun of you about that. <laughs> like second grade reading yeah, comprehension. Is that why? Like, is that why we failed? I failed, okay. <laughs> Did you get my transcripts or something? <laughs> no, but I would. That would have been awesome. Oh my gosh, yeah, no. Yeah, there is a profound shift that happens when you take time back, right? It's the yeah. one resource and commodity that you can never make any more of. So yeah, it's really powerful. And I and I felt like a failure in my personal relationships, and it was more because I just realized I I'm not, I have maybe two or three or four really close friends, and that's like pretty much it. And so even in those friendships, I wasn't devoting the time that was that I should be, and it wasn't anybody else judging me. It was my, me judging myself. And so just the simple acts of I said, you know, I'm gonna reclaim this time. And I'm going to use it to just pick up the phone and call these three people. And I, I called all three of them that first day. And one of the conversations was, 
man, I'm so glad you, this is my friend saying this to me. So I'm so glad you called. I've been meaning to tell you this. Mm. And he shared with me something that was going on in his life. And so it was just like, that was such an incredible validation of, yeah. of you know, hey, I'm not, I, I'm not, I know that I'm failing at this friendship thing and, and some levels, and this is a way for me to reclaim that time and to put it invested in the things that I care about, which are, which, which are these friendships. Cause these people right. are, you know, my, they're everything to me. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing that's really critical about that is that more and more research is coming out about the value and critical importance of social connections. Right. And especially as we age, right. It's the, what age. are you trying to say? <laughs> well, you're looking, you, you you're looking a little rough. You're looking a little rough. Um, okay, fair enough. That's okay. So am I. That's why I did a podcast, not a video. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. So that we're you gorgeous, know. everybody. Okay, we're just gorgeous. <laughs> we did not fail at that. Thank you, Photoshop. <laughs> yeah. The more relationships and the deeper and more meaningful relationships and the way that we feel connected to the people around us and that we stay connected, authentically connected, right? Not Facebook like connected, but. What's, up, what's going on in your life and keeping up with your friends in that way when your friend said, hey, I've been meaning to tell you, yeah. right? What a beautiful gift it is to call someone and take the onus off of them of having to make the phone call when they are going through something, when they have something to tell you, when they're stressed, when they feel bad, but then to just take the effort, make the effort and call them and do it for them. So that then it's easier for them to say, hey, yeah, I'm struggling. And when things like that happen, you know, the day that you read the book and the day that you got off social media in an intentional way and then made that phone call and had him say that, it's kind of like the universe putting turning a, a little light, like ding, ding, ding. Like we don't always get signs that we're on the right path. Right. There are so many different ways that we can go. But every once in a while, the universe, you know, turns on a light and kind of is like, yeah, keep going that way. You're going to find really great stuff down that path. As soon as he said those words, that was exactly the thoughts that went through my head was like, this is this is why this is the universe giving me a sign. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Yeah. All right. So when we come back, we're going to dig into your professional journey uh, in more detail. But until then, we're just going to take a short break and talk to our sponsors. Soreness and pain isn't always the result of activity. This is a 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina. Prolonged sitting in a car or at your job aggravates muscles and joints and can cause pain. A standing desk can help. The key to alleviating the discomfort that sitting can cause is changing positions more frequently during the day. Alternating between sitting and standing at your desk, in addition to taking walk breaks and stretching, can work to loosen those tight muscles and joints. The perfect standing desk should be high enough so your computer keyboard is at elbow level and your monitor at face level to avoid neck strain. Before you start standing at your desk, take into consideration any knee or foot injuries and wear flat, comfortable shoes. This has been your 60-second wellness tip, powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. Admit it, staying informed is hard. There's so much information, it's hard to find content that speaks right to you. And local radio has left Charlotte behind. What if there 
there was one place where you could find news, entertainment, sports, music, food, and comedy created in and all about the place you call home. You're listening to the Charlotte Newsmakers Podcast. The Charlotte Podcast. This is John. And this is Miller. There's good all around us. Let's hear about it. Welcome to Do Good Charlotte, the Yelp Charlotte Podcast. Welcome to Fun with Failure. This is your man, Colin Cole, and I'm bringing to you the Players Report. Welcome to the Comedy Zone Podcast. All right, we're back with Prime After Prime. The Advent Coworking Podcast. 1K, the 1,000-second podcast. Another episode of Cheers, Charlotte. Thanks for being with us. My name's Brian LaFontaine. This is You May Have Seen. This is the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina, changing the way Charlotte listens at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you from originally? Uh, Well, I was born in Beloit, Wisconsin, and I grew up uh, in the suburbs of Chicago and stayed there until I went to college at a small little liberal arts school in central Illinois called Illinois College, uh, which was actually sort of uh, famous for hosting one of the Lincoln-Douglas debates. Oh, wow. So Lincoln had made a few appearances at the school, um, and uh, nothing exciting like that happened when I was there. Um, but, uh, yeah. And, uh, then I moved to Phoenix, Arizona because that's what people from Chicago do. It's a Naturally. huge Phoenix connection. And I still uh, talk to my wife about this all the time. Um, but, uh, yeah, moved to Phoenix and what was that like? That seems like a bit of a culture shock. How old were you? I was, so I would have been a few months out of co- maybe a year out of college. So in my early twenties, okay. um, I had l- uh, no joke. It was all of our, all of the belongings in a car, a, uh, I had I was running a bar at the time, so I had just like wads of singles and quarters, you know, a very mature looking uh, savings account. Right. And yeah. took about it was probably about only five hundred dollars in cash, and uh, got in the car and drove across the country, and had no job. This was at a time when the uh, there was still in the sort of the upturn in the economy and that things were still going well. So they were building apartments like crazy. Don't, I'm not sure where that's happening today. No clue. Uh, like, yeah, right. And so they were giving these amazing deals, like three free months rent and a TV and all these things. And so we wrote banked on the three free months and we said, we got to find a job in the first three months and then we can start paying our bills. And so we went out there with nothing, literally, I mean, $500 in cash and uh, what, we, what we could fit in a car and went to Phoenix. And that's how you picked the location was just three free months? Uh, like the what else city, was it? Uh, was the make a list of the five cities in the United States that we wanted to live. Um, and this was um, part of a part of a previous, uh, talking about failures, this was part of a previously failed marriage to be completely transparent. Got it. Um, but at the time, it wasn't failing right then. So um, made a list of five cities in the United States that we wanted to live. And Phoenix was one of those five cities. And so we had sort of checked boxes and seen what we wanted to do and went there. And then that was the, that was the place we decided on. So, And, you know, the three free months and the warm weather and all that stuff didn't hurt. So Yeah, when you're going from cold winters in Chicago, yeah. that's not too shabby. Yeah, 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 yeah. So did you make it within the first three months? Did you get your job? Oh, geez. Um <laughs> 
My first job that I'm ashamed that I basically just didn't go back to was uh, one of those, you need to make money today kind of a things. And so this was Christmas in Phoenix. And so I, I worked maybe like two days at a Target in the Christmas tree department. They had one of those. Please tell me that you were like wearing an elf I, I I don't remember. I don't remember if I had to do that. Uh, I don't think I did. In my version of the story, <laughs> you are in an elf costume. Yeah, so I did that. And it was actually, um, you know, it was actually, you know, my girlfriend at the time and now my ex-wife who got a job as a front desk administrator for a restaurant franchise that was headquartered in Phoenix. And they were growing so rapidly that she uh, was able to they were they were hiring a lot of people and so i she got a job and it was maybe 2 3 weeks later that they had another opening that i applied for and that was my the beginning of a you know 3 or 4 actually no maybe like a 6 year career in the restaurant business traveling all over the country opening restaurants doing corporate inspections and um, getting to see life as an entrepreneur for folks who had invested their entire life savings to open a restaurant to people who this was a blip in their portfolio um, working with uh, all different populations, uh, had a tremendous experience working with a lot of Spanish speaking uh, employees who just accepted me and taught me, you know, all of the Spanish I know today. And I'm still friends with them and I still communicate with them. And I haven't worked there in, you know, a ton of years. So yeah. um, just some really strong uh, friendships that were created, which is how I came to Charlotte, opened, okay. a, opened a restaurant in Charlotte down in Stonecrest. And uh, the local ownership uh, hired me and my ex-wife away from the corporate office and we moved to charlotte really less knowledge about charlotte than we did about phoenix we didn't really know anything um, when was that how long ago that was 13 years ago all right 13 years ago yeah so came to same story got on the load up the car drive drive across country landed in charlotte and didn't really know much about it other than the job and went head down into work every day for a couple of years and you know, realized that it wasn't for me, um, left that job and uh, left it because I remember the February, early February, the first presidential debate in 2008. And remember hearing Barack Obama speak and being inspired to get involved in his campaign and, you know, got involved with the local efforts before the campaign even hit the ground here as a volunteer and campaign hit the ground. And they were hiring pretty much any able-bodied person at that point to help grow and, um, started a career in politics. Wow, that's so you went from restaurants, the restaurant industry into politics. That's a big jump. That's really fascinating. I didn't know that that's where, how your journey started. Yeah, they were very um, operationally focused roles. So the skill sets were transferable um, and, and uh, some of the sort of personal uh, connections and, you know, going back to my superpower of double vision, you know, yeah. being able to see both sides, it was helpful. Um, and I loved it. I freaking loved it. Some of my, some of the best moments of my life and the friendships that I cherish to this day are because of that experience. And, and then, you know, that's where I met Anthony Fox when he was just a city, just a lowly city councilman, <laughs> um, before he became mayor, when, uh, and he provided me an opportunity to run his campaign in 2009, uh, where we were victorious, um, being the first democratic mayor of Charlotte in 14 years. So, um, wow. Yeah, that was an exciting time. So tell me, since I've asked you about your embarrassing stories and your failures, and you just mentioned that you had some of the best moments of your life on that Obama campaign. Do you want to share one of those with us? One of the highlights with us? 
I mean, I just is so there's so many that I it's honestly I I the I think because of the topic today, the first thing that came to my mind was something that was related to failure. No. <laughs> um, but you know, this is a funny story, and it's it's a somewhat of a I don't know how this is my failure I was associated with, but whatever. Uh, this was in 08. So at some point during the campaign, there was a gas shortage. This is like the last time. I remember there being a gas shortage since where it was literally there was only a few gas stations in Charlotte that had gas. And we had all these organizers who had to be driving and going all these places. And so we were just like freaked out about where they were going to get gas. And one night we were looking across the parking lot where some of our organizers had parked their car and somebody was drilling a hole in the bottom of somebody's gas tank and stealing gas out of it. Oh. And, you know, we were there. It's like 11, 12, 1 o'clock at night. And I just remember racing out. They were they we saw them. They started to run away in their cars. And I remember racing out to my car and chasing them down Independence, doing like 90 miles an hour at two in the morning. And then I lost them. But uh, that's I mean, this is just these like little stories that yeah. have like little like no meaning to the campaign other than the fact that they just I, we still when I see those people today, we still talk about that moment or that night. Um, and, you know, we, we were fortunate enough to host the NBA All-Star Game here uh, a few months ago. Or uh, One of my d dearest friends, uh, uh, Jesse Moore, uh, was here doing some consulting work for the NBA. And so I had a chance to sit and catch up with him. And, uh, you know, it's been, you know, 2008, right? And it's uh, 2019, so 11 years. And, um, you know, it, the the feeling the emotional connection and feeling that I get just being around him is just like I feed off of it for days afterwards. It's just incredible feeling and, and other and others, but he's just a really great example of it. Yeah. When you're in the trenches with people yeah. in a campaign like that, yeah. it's just you form such a specific and unique bond. Yeah. Meeting Usher, standing behind the stage at the, and the sorry, <laughs> I was like standing behind, you know, when Beyonce sang to the Obamas that first night when he was being inaugurated, I was like 15 feet behind, 20 feet standing behind Beyonce. Um, so I'm chatting to someone who saw yeah. Beyonce was that close. I feel like basically I know Beyonce <laughs> now. That's well, see, Mariah, that's all I'm taking Mariah, out of this Mariah entire Carey's podcast. actually my favorite, um, one of my favorite people. And she was there and she she was with Nick Cannon at the time and he was DJing the event I was at. And I happened to have because of my friend Jesse, I happened to be in the, the sort of VIP section. And so she, Mariah Carey comes and sits down next to Nick Cannon. And, you know, this is like pre iPhone camera right. so you actually have a camera in your hand adorable and i go to take a picture and she sees me attempting to take a picture and she turns and gives me like the smile that i'll never forget and a little wink and like basically permission to take her picture and so you know i mean that's one of my favorite moments <laughs> <laughs> i would never have pictured you as a mariah guy that's, i'm just learning so many new things yeah, you know about born you. in the late 70s you know growing up in the 80s all right yeah, fair enough yeah, yeah yeah fair enough yeah tell me about your decision to run for city council what inspired you and what issues did you discuss during your campaign why did you want to be city on the city council yeah i still think to this day i think it's a it's a it was the then it was the lack of a voice of somebody who was in my age demographic, really, at the time, was one thing. Uh, that's sort of changed now that we have a, a, several millennials, although I'm not a millennial, on the city council, um, people who are more contemporary, more my peers. And so uh, that was one sort of 
issue that I, I saw that in order for our city to grow and to become its uh, fullest self and to and to think and take care of all of its people, we needed to sort of see that represented in our city council. And so that was one thing. Um, and then also, I think this idea of connectedness and the fact that um, while we I think we lived in the most politely segregated city in the country, it was a phrase that I, I said and I stand by it and I still say it today. And so there was an idea of like, how can the youthfulness that I would would bring or could bring uh, be connected? It could be used as a tool for helping break down uh, other barriers that exist, helping bring more people into the process and and do it in a way that uh, makes their voice feel valued and, 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 you know, explaining and sharing how they can how they can do it in the way the system is designed now, but also in a way that allows for disruption and, and new ideas to perhaps break down the systems that currently exist. And so, um, you know, I, I wanted to build, I wanted Charlotte to be the most connected city in America. I wanted it to be literally the most connected city, meaning I wanted us to have the best internet at the most affordable price. I wanted to have our people be the most connected to each other. I wanted our institute, I want our institutions to be connected to each other. Um, I just think that, uh, you, you, it takes somebody who can stand sort of off on the periphery almost um, and uh, see from all these different perspectives and then link together the things that are disconnected and help those barriers break down. So that, that wasn't part of my stump speech, but it was pretty close. Yeah. How did it feel when you lost as the the campaign the yeah. race what was that experience like for you you know it was a series of failures leading up to the final failure and you know at that same exact moment that i was in the campaign after i had decided to announce that i was going to run within the first three months the startup i was working at failed or was failing and so they cut a bunch of staff and so here i am you know, running for Charlotte City Council at large, and I just lost my job. And it was the first time in my life I had to go on unemployment. And so, it, you know, I'm like standing there trying to project this sense of confidence to people and that I know what I got going on. In the meantime, there's there's freaking chaos in the back, right? Like, what is happening? What am I going to do? This is, this is stressful. Um, and so I still get a little bit of anxiety just talking about it now, right? Yeah. Um, I didn't do the things that somebody who had run campaigns before would know to do and should have done. I didn't do those things. And I think there's no there's no reason why other than I didn't do them. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe there's some subconscious reasons or, or was some lack of confidence or something like that that, that could play into it for sure. But um, I knew. I mean, I know. I know. I got the playbook. I mean, I've seen it. I've done it. You know, we, we've done it a couple of times and I've been on the sidelines and watched other people do it. I, you know, I know what I should have done. What should you have done? What, uh, or, or I could phrase it this way. What will you do differently the next time when you <laughs> run? Being present in more places to hear from people of this community. Um, in an authentic way and realizing that as a representative, you have to hear from your constituents in order to represent them. Um, not that you're going to be able to hear from everybody, but, you know, um, just doing it more intentionally. Um, and I mean, I went to all the town halls and I went and talked to people and things like that. But the, but I definitely know that I, I could have done that more 
on my own time and more organically than just in the sort of formal settings to do it. Again, going back to my not necessarily having as many close friends, that sort of hurts you because those are the people you call on in a campaign. I mean, right. you call on those close allies to come out and, and, and many, many people did. So uh, to all those people who did, obviously, I'm eternally grateful for. So, um, but nurturing relationships throughout life so that when you do need a, a helping hand that it's not like you're having to like, hey man, how's it going? I haven't talked to you in a while. So right. what are you doing next Tuesday? Wanna come knock some doors with me, you know? Um, more so that they're calling you because they wanna help you because you've always been there for them. Yeah. Um, so so there's some of that, yeah. Do you think you will run again? I, you know, what is a no, never say never kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, but I realize that it's not, I have a young family and my focus needs to be there and I need to be mindful of the time I'm spending watching my son grow up. And that, I mean, that's where I get energy in life from anyways. And so um, I don't think I'd do it anytime soon, but you know, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? I, I also, I also recognize that my position in life and the privilege that I've received being a uh, you can't see this right now, but I'm white male. Um, he really is. He's I, transparent. He's so pale. He's transparent. <laughs> there are other voices that need to be in positions of leadership and not saying that that I don't have something to add, but I think that there's a ton of great people who fit a different profile who uh, would would maybe be better than me. And so I think I, at this point, I'd rather support those voices and because those are the voices I think that are ultimately going to have the most impact and change the systems that need to be changed. Um, and I can keep pushing from where I'm at and you can still be actively involved in civic life and not hold a title. Um, and that's that's where I think I find the most joy right now. You've always been very intentional and authentic about your passion towards social justice and equality and equity. Where do you think that comes from? Well, I talking about my aunt who passed away a few years ago, um, when she passed and we're listening to stories of her past, I, 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 I was asking myself this question um, in the last couple of years, wondering like, why, why do I do that? You know, like here I have, I mean, in a very frank and honest way, was, I don't know that I've ever said this out loud. I say, why don't I, why haven't I just taken advantage of the privilege of being who I am and like gone on to get some corporate job and like made six you know high six figures and just lived the life right uh, it just never that never jived with who i it never felt natural in those environments and so i think that it was my a combination of right things i probably can't see in my dna but also the experiences and i had in the nurturing of my life so my aunt was very active in um, certain social issues especially around education uh, equality and education and things like that and my um my other aunt and uncle were both uh, pathologists with the AMA when I was growing up, American Medical Association, and traveled the world and were very globally minded. And they requ required, um, although it didn't come across this way, they took all of their nieces and nephews on a some sort of trip that could be anywhere in the world as long as it had some sort of educational sort of social justice bend to it. And so... Um, I spent a summer at an Amish camp in oh, wow. Ohio. And How old were you? I was probably 12 and maybe a little bit younger. And so um, I you know, spent time at their house in, in uh, downtown Chicago. And um, they took me to you know, different restaurants and different uh, food types. And like it, it just culturally was immersed in all these different environments. And 
done so in a way that was about appreciating what was there and not in a way that was trying to change it to make it like more American or Western or whatever it was. It was more, this is how you can appreciate something that's from some someplace else that looks, sounds and feels different, but yet you can still get joy out of it or share in a moment with. So um, I, I think that it was some of my aunts and uncles really that deserved a lot of the credit. And my parents, sorry, parents, you guys went that uh, <laughs> fail. So now no, that seriously, no, but seriously, we love we love his parents. His parents are great. How have you thought about how you'll be intentional raising your son in this particular way, and what might that look like on your end now that you're the parent? Even where he goes to where his childcare is daycare. You know, I mean, I my wife and I had you know arguments really about it. I maybe more disagreements about it, but about, hey, this this place maybe isn't representative of the kind of environment I want. I mean, it's a, you know, on the on the surface, on the paper, it's an excellent place to send sure. your child. Yeah. But when you when you go and experience it and I said, well, I said, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, like, is this really going to these are such formidable years in this first three years of life that I, I would prefer him to have a more diverse experience. I'd prefer him to be around other people and, and hear different sounding voices and look at, you know, and just experience that because it's it is life and it is all of life. And going back to what I talked about failure and sort of like what it is to be human and experience all these different things, you have to, I think you have to have those. You almost, you have to create those opportunities for people. Absolutely. Yeah, it is life. It's messy and beautiful and chaotic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to pivot now and talk a little bit about Digital Charlotte. Everything that you've been talking about, right, in your interest in social justice and your interest in politics and even from your operational background you know what it means to run a restaurant or run an organization or run a campaign and then your focus on technology and your work in the tech startup space seems to have all brought you toward this digital charlotte space and working toward digital inclusion so again when you know, we think about going back to your comment about failure being in the middle or mm -hmm. failure being at the beginning, you know, you wouldn't have necessarily wound up in the space and in the position that you are now as the executive director of Digital Charlotte had you been on city council. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, you know, not necessarily a failure, a stepping stone and something that you've learned from. Mm -hmm. So what are the things that, you know, that you have learned through the campaign or learned through that failure that you're now applying in a more intentional way towards Digital Charlotte, reaching out to constitu not constituents, but stakeholders, right? And also with your background and passion toward education, you know, making sure that we, we at Queens University are carefully considering how students in Charlotte Mecklenburg school systems are using technology and have access to technology and how can we support the parents there as well so that they can support their children. So can you talk a little bit about your role as the ED? You know, I think the first thing to understand is that for, and not for you to understand, but maybe for some of the listeners is, um, you know, you're probably listening to this on maybe your smartphone or a computer or something like that. And uh, and you're probably listening to it because you have access to the internet to, to, to even get this podcast. And, you know, what we know from the data is that, and I'm just rounding here. So, um, you know, roughly 20%, it's a little bit less now, but roughly 20% of our community lives in, you know, what we would call the digital divide, which, which for short means that they're lacking internet access in the home, 
uh, a computer to get online or the digital and media literacy skills to, to um, make all those three things work together. And that number is 20% of the whole, but when we look at certain communities, we see that number rise much higher. And so uh, that's just this broader conversation about getting really meta here, right? Like what does, we talk a lot about the benefits of technology. And I think those who are of means and have a lot of technology are now also talking about, well, you know, my son or daughter has too much technology, but there's still a segment of our population that's left out of our modern society, economy, and democracy. When a city decides, and one of the reasons talking about making a more connected city, when a city decides to make a form only available online, or when a store, I'm seeing this a lot now, where some, you know, cashless, you know, there are people in our community who don't have credit cards, who don't have a smartphone, don't have Apple Pay, who don't have access to those things. And, you, you know, um, there's reasons why they're systemic and they're rooted in, you know, for, uh, they're rooted in a number of things, including, you know, I, I could go on and on here. So yeah, class, race, yeah, gender, yeah, history, thank you, thank historical you. context. Thank you. Thank sure. You. Yes. No problem. That was excellent. Happy to help. I want to keep going. <laughs> um, uh, the work at Digital Charlotte and, you know, being positioned in the Knight School of Communication, being associated with the Knight Foundation, being associated with these broader concepts of uh, what it means to be a creator of information, to tell one's own story, and and to think about the challenges that communities face, and even just getting to be able to do that. And so, Digital Charlotte is really positioned, uh, you know, in the in the marketplace, so to speak, to help bridge that that gap and to really look at how do we support communities that have all these other challenges in taking part in our modern society, economy, and democracy. What does it mean when people can engage with their neighborhood and the leadership of their neighborhood, or, or maybe they themselves are the leader, uh, if they're not on the email chain because they don't have access to a phone or, or consistent internet access? They're not left out. Their voice is not counted in, in what is a really important decision about you know where the next road is going to go or what building is going to be built there. You know, um, and, and and that that spreads out into all sorts of issues. You know, high, increasingly high percentage of jobs are only available to people who apply online. Right. Yeah. And you say, okay, somebody might be saying, well, they can they can can't you go to the library and do this? And yeah, Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, you know kicks ass and I know I'm going to get bleep for that, but they do because they provide space, but they don't provide space for everybody. They're only open certain hours. You know, the, I would love, I'd love to see the county fund libraries for a longer period of time so more people can have access. But ultimately what I'd really love is to, to see a community that cares and understands that technology is here to stay. It is in, it is ingrained and incorporated in every single thing we do. And we as a community must we must ensure that everyone has access and the ability to have internet, to have a, a device that works for modern use and has a digital and media literacy skills to take advantage of being a participating member of our modern society, economy, and democracy, which I've now said three times. Well, it's also, I'm like going to bang the table now. I'm like getting... <laughs> I want, want to get you a gavel. Yeah, I'm like, it's I'm whack, fired whack. up. Yeah, why don't you hit us with some st statistics too about parts of Charlotte and how, you know, like neighborhoods or... Because it, it's, it's you were talking about that 20%, right? Yeah. So is that, can you, is that nationally? Is that here in Charlotte? Does Charlotte mimic the national average? Yeah, Charlotte, uh, for the most part, sits in the, in the, in you know, somewhere in the median of the national average. Um, generally, I think we're 
just maybe a slightly ahead of the national average, but not enough to, to like be like, Oh, we're great. Um, and it's, it's the same. It's, it's almost annoying to say this. It's, uh, to say, you know, it's a crescent in the wedge. Yeah. And we've, I think, you know, most people by now after, you know, five years since the Chetty study or something like that and hearing it on every, you know, hearing every politician talk about it and an opportunity and it's, you know, um, I, I almost cringe when I say it myself because I realize that it just is, it's almost become the, the natural language and it doesn't have the punch that it did in the beginning. Well, do you want to, let me back up for a second because we might actually have people who listen that are outside of Charlotte. So what? I know, crazy, you didn't right? tell me that. So weird. It might go to South Carolina. What? I know, it's so crazy. <laughs> oh, no. I know. Sorry. <laughs> So the, can you explain the study that you just mentioned, yeah, right? Yeah, which is, yeah. it, it, which is again, shocking, but we're working on it. And then also explain what the crescent and the wedge is for people outside. Charlotte. I mean, the, the hack job explanation I'm going to give right here, right? Um, uh, a Harvard study by a gentleman named Raj Chetty um, ranked cities across the country on their uh, upward mobility and people in the lowest quintile having the opportunity to rise to the highest quintile. And basically, that means the poorest people having the opportunity to become the richest people, I guess, is a is a layman's way of saying that. And Charlotte was ranked 50th out of 50 in U.S. major cities in the opportunity for somebody in the lowest quintile to rise up. And so if you're born in poverty you, here in Charlotte, you stay yeah, in poverty. It matters more what zip code you're born in than it matters anything else that happens in your life practically. And it's such a weird thing to think about because we we imagine all these other factors, but it could just literally be the zip code that you're born into has such a determinant factor on your outcomes in life. So that study, you know, came out and everybody in Charlotte's like, oh my, you know, not everybody. It's it's the idea that, you know, roughly half of Charlotte was like, oh my God, Charlotte? No way. We're this banking town and there's all these bright, shiny buildings and these, you know, what seemingly, uh, you know, uh, vibrant community. And I think, you know, the other half of Charlotte's like, this is what we've known. This is what we've been living. Um, we see this firsthand every day. And it's it's really the people who who weren't seeing that that I think the ones that were shocked the most, mm. not the people who were actually living that situation. Of course I mean, not. Right? Yeah, because they know it. It's they know their it. life. It is, yeah. And so um, when we think about digital equity and where communities are that uh, have access, that either have the economic means to have access or literally the infrastructure being built, um, we see that in, so that going back real quick, sorry, that crescent and wedge piece came up because when you drew out on a map, the areas of prosperity and the areas of lack of opportunity, it looks like a crescent and a wedge it looks like a pac-man eating a piece of cheese if we're going to be honest right based on the geography based on the geography of, of our community so so in the crescent uh which is the vast majority of the city uh geographically is where we find the pockets of less opportunity and in a very concentrated wedge that comes from our uptown corridor down south uh we see uh areas of high uh high levels of opportunity high levels of high, higher levels of economic success and that's not a sustainable, it's not sustainable over the long run. And it, it, it creates resentment. It creates all sorts of issues. It's it, it just a matter of treating everyone in our community equally with dignity and respect and making sure that resources and, and the way we operate and think about lifting everyone up is done in a more meaningful way. We, we just, we failed. We really failed. And we're not talking about like failure that's like, oh, shucks. We're talking about like, like real people's lives. And when I think about the work that we do, um, I think about 
I just think about a number of people we've served over the years who, and uh, in, in the work we do in, in helping people learn these skills, digital literacy skills and going into schools and working with parents who are in communities that would be in that crescent and who would be viewed by others, not to pin anybody specifically, but might be viewed by others as, oh, they, they don't care or they don't want to be engaged. That's a low-performing school. Their parents aren't engaged. I'm just like getting bleeped out here, but that's bullshit. These parents show up. They care. It's because the, the resources and the opportunity hasn't been created or been presented to them where they live. And, and we're there in those communities and along with other partners, but just specifically thinking about the work we do, we're in those communities helping in one small little area make somebody more comfortable with using a computer and using the technology to create some opportunity in their life. That might be applying for a new job. That might be, hey, I'm a grandmother and my kids moved away and I really want to age in place but I have some social isolation issues and things like that. And I can use this computer to get on the Skype or the, or the Google Hangouts or whatever. And I can um, see them and I can have this emotional connection with them that makes me feel better. And I um, mean, go into all the health benefits. We can um, maybe another podcast for Dr. White from the night school to come on and talk about Good idea. Here. But, you know, you can, you, you, there's all these things that, um, that technology impacts. And, and so that, that's where I feel um, why we're so well positioned to have an impact in this community and why we are having an impact. I mean, this semester alone, so from January to May of 2019, Digital Charlotte will, will run 26, 26 digital and media literacy community programs. And that 26 programs will serve just under 500 community members who include people from parents of Charlotte Mecklenburg school students or guardians, could be grandparents, aunts and uncles, who are learning how to stay more engaged through technology in their child's education. That's gonna be a digital health literacy program with uh, active older adults who, who, who feel, sort of feel left behind by the advancements in technology and how they're using that technology to stay healthy and live longer, more productive lives. And the one that hasn't started yet, but will start soon, and one I'm very excited about is working in uh, with the Mecklenburg County Sheriff's Office and Charlotte Works, running a digital literacy program inside the jail, inside the 90 day from being released pod. And for the first time ever, we are going to be able to take a computer that these community members will earn while they're in jail and it will be placed into their property so that when they leave the jail, they will have a computer that will have uh, digital resources that they were previously not able to take with them. And not that there are, there's tons of amazing community partners that are serving this population, but the, the, this is just another way to help ensure success. And I, I think this is a broader context, but that's very representative of, we need to set our community up and treat people the way we want to see them, not the way that they necessarily are. So if, if somebody, if, well, I'm not gonna treat an inmate like an inmate, I'm gonna treat an inmate with the respect that he deserves that I want that, that I would hope that he becomes a very, he or she becomes a very productive member of our society. And so when we run those classes, we wanna run them with the same vigor and the same intensity and the same energy that we would put into any other program so that they get out of it what they deserve to get out of it, but that they feel respected and valued and they see themselves in that way so that they hopefully act in that way. It seems a lot, or it seems focused also or connected to rehabilitation. 
So if it's intentional, right, not just, and we've worked together on a number of initiatives and digital inclusion initiatives, and it's not just about getting them the piece of technology, right? It's never just about the technology. The technology itself will never solve the problem. But again, being intentional and tying the technology to a particular goal. So I need to get a job. I need to work on my resume. I need to stay connected. I need to check in. I need to... I need access to online, free online courses. And I live 10 miles away from the closest library. Well, that means that you then have to take two buses and it's really expensive. And then if you also have two jobs because you live, don't make a lot of money. So on and on and on. But yeah, if it's intentional and if, if it's wrapped into a program, not just here's a piece of technology, but here's a program in which we're going to embed organically the technologies to help you reach your goal mm -hmm. whether it's rehabilitation whether it's social connection whether it's parent engagement and cms schools then yeah the rates for success are much higher than just here's the tech do whatever you want yeah. with it because yeah. it's not connected to anything yeah, but when exactly. it's connected to the goal yeah. then the success rates higher one of the things that i was thinking about listening to you speak and you you're so passionate, right, about the work that you do, which is which is great. And I think it might be easy to interpret as, oh, you know, Bruce is mad at Charlotte or Bruce doesn't like Charlotte, right? But the thing that I've heard you say over and over again, and I've known you for years now, is I love this city so much, mm -hmm. right? Part of the reason that you wanted to run was because you love this city. You bought a house here at one point. You are raising a family here. You're invested. You're all in on Charlotte. And so the criticism comes from, from a place of love and from a place of knowing that we can do better. I think it ties perfectly, beautifully back to the idea of failure, that you learn those critiques and criticisms sometimes come out in moments of failure. And they're usually, you know, if, if people are trying to push failure to the side because they don't view it as a valuable asset, then they don't ever learn from those failures. And they just view that as something that has happened. And we don't, we don't need to talk about that because we need to keep going this direction when in fact, that's exactly what we need to be doing. So thank you for having this podcast. Because I was telling somebody I came from a meeting with uh, a really awesome entrepreneur, Sam Smith, who's doing some great work at her company vision and having that conversation that failure wasn't in the for 13 years I've been in Charlotte, you know, failure was a word that was almost sort of the traditional. Like people like, oh, don't talk about it. It's avoid it. You know, you're not going to fail. You have to only be successful. And, and yeah, okay. So, so you want to be successful. I get it. But you, if you don't recognize and learn from the failures, hence the idea that it's a midpoint, not the end. And if it's just the end, you don't learn from your failures. And then, you know, we end up repeating ourselves and have the same failure again, instead of, a failure that leads to something more successful. And so I'm super stoked to for the podcast uh, series that you're doing here because I think our our community and all the listeners across the globe need to- Across the Carolinas. Across the Carolina globe, <laughs> the flat earth Carolinas. Uh, it, need, need, it needs to be more accepted. It's part of life. It's who we are. We're imperfect beings. And that's just what it means to be human. And so, you know, get over it. On that note- <laughs> Thanks so much, Bruce, thank for coming you. in. I really, had, I really, I learned some new things about you and it was a real treat. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. So uh, you've been listening to Fun With Failure, where we laugh with and at you about your flaws, fears, and failures. I'm your host, Alexis Carrero. Until next time, go fail and have some fun. Thanks. 
You can follow us on Twitter at FunFailPodcast. And if you have questions or suggestions about upcoming guests, sponsorship opportunities, or just want to say hi, our email address is fun at funwithfailure.com. 